Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests, we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high, unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't. Just before we start, I wonder whether this podcast has encouraged you to dive deeper into the leader you are. If it has, and you're wanting more, then why not join my six-month leadership programme starting in January 2023? Check out my website, www.fishclimbtrees.co.uk or click on the link in the show notes to find out more. Today, we're going to be diving deep into a topic that divides the crowd. For many leaders, their immediate response to this topic is, oh no, I could never do that. But I'd like to offer up a different perspective. One that says, as leaders, we all need to be able to do this, whether it's for ourselves, our team, our organisation. What is it? Well, it's sales, selling. My guest today has spent most of her career in sales, particularly hospitality sales. She started out in conference centres before moving to hotels and more latterly, academic venues spending 10 years as head of sales and marketing at Warwick Conferences. Now, back in the day, when I was looking after conferences and events for a university, I would have loved to be having this conversation. So better late than never. In November 2017, my guest set up her own business, RB Associates, a consultancy which helps support venues with their sales strategy. And she now runs Academic Venue Solutions as membership director. For me, she has a wealth of knowledge about academic venues, sales and the wider events market. So I cannot wait to dive into this conversation. Please welcome to the show, Rachel Lee. Hi, Rachel. Hello, Mel. Thank you very much for having me. You are very, very welcome. This is going to be such an interesting conversation. So many areas that we could dive into. But perhaps the best place to start, and I'm sure that many people will have heard of your name, and if not heard of you, definitely heard of Warwick Conferences. So perhaps start by sharing a little bit of your journey and how you've ended up now looking after academic venue solutions. Yeah, well, I'll try and keep it... it brief even though it feels like a hundred years. I started my career in mortgage advising bizarrely enough and that was my first sort of introduction to sales and quite aggressive sales at that in terms of it was in an estate agency. So I I actually had two jobs. I did that job uh, and I also had a waitressing job which was funding my trip to Australia to see my best friend. And it was the waitressing job that I far more enjoyed than the than the mortgage advising, to be perfectly honest. And I was probably much better at, at the hospitality side. And it was within that sort of waitressing job that I met a lady who introduced me to conference centres and um, got me an interview. And I went to work for Haley Conference Centres as a business development manager. 
back in the early days when they only had sort of three venues, I started my life out at Horwood House and then Ettington Chase and had the most amazing time. In terms of sales, that's where, you know, the, the hard lessons were learned. We were targeted within an inch of our lives. And I really, really loved it and, and actually was fortunate to excel and be given the room to grow. And it was there that I was fortunate enough to win a trip to go on an International Association of Conference Centres, IAC, trip to, bizarrely enough, Lake Tahoe. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> I was very young and I couldn't believe my luck. Uh, and I ended up on this, it was, a, it was a business trip and it was a conference where I think I probably met the most influential people in, in my career. They were all very professional. They were all um, either sales, marketing or operational people within hospitality, some in academic venues. And I created some relationships there that actually ended up really forming my, my career journey. And one person in particular from Australia then went on to employ me. I was very fortunate to go and work in Australia for, for a short while. And I worked at the Macquarie Graduate School of Management in sales, opening up their city centre office in Sydney and then went to work for the Mount Eliza Business School doing a similar thing in Melbourne. Um, so, so lucky that through that trip um, to America and through my sort of sales journey, I was able to, to travel and work overseas. And then again, through the same sort of contacts and the same network, I, I needed to come home and I ended up at Sundial um, and actually they'd opened a venue in Bath. So I went to work for the Chudley family and had a terrific time uh, again in heading up the sales office and the sort of sales and operations office there at, in, in Bath. Wonderful part of the, the country, wonderful team, great people. And then it was time to move location. And I ended up at Staverton, uh, back near my home stomping ground in, in Northamptonshire and was the sales manager for probably the biggest operation I was yet to work in, where we had, I think it was £11 million turnover at the time, which was, was my largest sort of target I'd had to date, uh, and about 17 staff. And then the grand job came available, the shall I, shan't I, could I, couldn't I, and it was the head of sales and marketing at, at Warwick Conferences. So... I went for the job and I don't think I've ever wanted a job more in my life than, than that one. And I remember where I was sitting on the stairs when I got the call to say that I got the job and I was almost weeping. It was just ridiculous. Um, and that was sort of 30 staff and £24 million target. And, and that was, was really where probably ended up learning the most in, in the last 10 years within that environment a bit green around the gills in terms of I've always been very, very sales focused, always been, you know, driven to achieve those targets. But it, it was very different in the academic environment and not quite so easy to just bulldoze your way through and say, right, there's the number. I'm on my way. Um, no, there was quite a lot that I'm sure we can explore on the way that, you know, it, it's a very different environment. And, you know, I admire all my colleagues in this world because you've got to have some resilience to achieve in sales within an academic environment. Yeah. And then to end that, that journey, I'm five years old today. So my business is actually five years old today. And I only realised it when I listened to your previous ladies podcast where she was the first of November. I'm today. Oh, I've got a roll with business birthdays this season. It's fantastic. I love it. Happy birthday. Thank you very much.
And we should just mention that although we are recording it, and I think there's no problem in saying the date, today is the 7th of November. This episode will be going out on the 30th of November, which is the day before the Academic Venue Solutions Conference. It is indeed. Very excited. And where is that being held? Oh, Warwick Conferences. (laughs) So we're going full circle. Absolutely, yes. So for people that don't know, what is Academic Venue Solutions? So when I started up my business, I wasn't sure which direction I was going to to go in. And I was very fortunate to be offered the opportunity to work with Academic Venue Solutions, who we could now describe them as like a support network for people working in sales and marketing within academic venue solutions. But it's mainly um, in existence to drive business into those venues. We have 52 members currently, and some of those venues can literally have sort of one or two people operating their sales function for, you know, utilising the assets when the students aren't, aren't in their spaces. And then there's the opposite end where you've got the likes of Nottingham and Warwick, where you have got much larger operations. But even though there's a difference in scale, you know, there's still that need to network with each other. And there's still that need to explore opportunities for different channels to you know, help support your business. And that's really what we do. And I think the nicest part is that we we have this lovely story that we're trying to keep the business within the academic sector. So all that surplus that's made within those venues continues in the sector to support the students. So it feels like a really lovely, you know, story when you're trying to sell it to to businesses and talking to their CSR policies. It's, you know, it's a great message. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Certainly when I was in conference sales, that's what I enjoyed. And even with my business now, I like to work with organisations with purpose where it isn't about shareholder profit. It is probably about profit or surplus, whichever word is more comfortable. But actually, it's about doing good with that surplus. Absolutely. And I suppose for both of us, we've both experienced this. And and you, you alluded to it as part of what is AVS and how does it support its members? But actually, what we do or what we did is really supporting the university, but it is often there's a conflict of priorities. So, of course, universities are there for their students, but then people like us are tasked with bringing in revenue when facilities aren't being used for core student activities. And that makes sense. But it can also be quite a a tough job, can't it? it, in as much as people say that they want it but then they don't necessarily behave in a way that is supportive to those people that are working really really hard and I just wonder if you've got any any stories that you can add to that or any thoughts that you have around that yeah absolutely and and I think many of my my wonderful peers across the sector will have similar stories and I think Perhaps the hardest one for me um, was nearing sort of the the time that I left Warwick was when we'd opened a new venue. We were all super proud of of this venue and um, we'd got a first time customer coming to use. It was quite close to, to Christmas. It was their sort of end of year conference and bash. The events organiser herself had only just started at the company and this was her first event. So she was super keen to get, you know, to, to make this event a huge success. 
and um, we had student protests in, in the building and they occupied the building for quite a number of days and, and did some damage to the building. And, you know, it, it wasn't intentional, but it was, you know, a, a university is there for, for freedom of speech. And we had to understand that, that you know, things were delicate and, and things had to be handled in a certain way. But in a sales environment, obviously, that doesn't feel quick enough and it feels at odds with what you're trying to achieve and the the sort of short potted version is that we had to ask the client to well we had to move the client basically um, from the venue that that they would been contracted to and promised um, because we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get the students out in time and having that conversation because we were limited as to where we could put them um, the client cried um, I, I felt like I'd ruined <laughs> I just ruined her life and that was really difficult because, again, in your sort of logical sales head, you're saying this piece of business is worth £100,000 and I've actually just put it at jeopardy. And whilst you are getting support from, from those around you, the ultimate is that that room was, was no longer available. And I think her thoughts were, well, why can't you just move them? Why can't you, why can't you evict them? And it's very difficult to explain that, you know, this, this is a university, it's a campus, it's, it needs to be a safe environment, we've got to do things properly. It's not just a case of, you know, bulldozing in and hoofing them out with force. It's, it's just not possible. So what actually happened was I saw an incredible team come together and find a solution for this client. It was not the best solution, but it, it worked. And actually, the people that were there till two o'clock in the morning trying to make sure that, you know, the AV that we now needed, you know, was in place ready because this was a very short period of time that we had to, to turn it around. That, to me, was the best example of teamwork I've ever seen. And we pulled it off. And not just that, but actually the, the client said, you know, we have just been on a roller coaster journey with you, but we will be back. Because if that's how your team deals with the challenges, then, you know, goodness knows what they'll be like when there aren't any. So, it was a it was a happy ending, but those are the sorts of things that happen. You know, you have the the, the assets aren't yours. You know, the inventory changes and, and all my, my peers up and down the country will, will be nodding saying, yes, that's that's what happens. And we don't have a choice. So I think for me, as a leader at, at those points, sometimes it's about being brave and it's not about glory seeking for yourself. It's about sort of making sure the teams come first and that you're trying to create a culture of safety and support for others in those situations. And whilst you're bearing the responsibility, you are protecting them at the same time. And, you know, that's something that you don't necessarily think about when you're in a sales role. You think it's all about the numbers, but I think it's not. I think it's all about the people, because if the people are looked after, then the numbers should hopefully take care of themselves. And that's one of the biggest lessons I learned. It wasn't about thundering through sales targets, although there was the pressure, like you said earlier, to achieve those that, you know, how you get there can often be a, a very, very wiggly path, shall we call it. It's not A to B and there will be things that come and happen and space will get taken off of you and you've got to be creative. You've got to think, OK, how do we sort this out? And you suddenly become a, a problem solver you know, and, and adding that to your to many talents that you develop along the way. I think you're absolutely right. And as, as you were talking there, I was just going back through through my time and all the challenges that we had. And it's weird because I think in some ways, actually, in the end, it's those challenges. While they feel 
absolutely awful in the moment and you feel like you're going to explode from the stress that's what makes it I think more interesting and actually more enjoyable in the long run and more rewarding it it is a bit of a battle and I think that if there are people listening to this that either support the colleagues in in this very commercial world or or they line manage it's remembering and recognizing that actually it can feel very lonely and it can feel like you are always the voice that has to speak up in a room full of other people that don't necessarily understand and that can be quite hard going because if we don't do that if the leaders looking after these areas don't stand up nobody else in the academic environment will do because their focus quite rightly is on the students and that side of things so we need to be these advocates so we need to be quite strong we need to be resilient but we also need people around us that can support us because it can be quite lonely and quite hard going (laughs) I couldn't agree with you more and I think I've got to be honest it was probably one of the loneliest roles I've ever done because let's face it it can be quite an intimidating environment after all you're in you're in an environment that's full of extremely smart people um, but you want a decision that is directly at odds often with their thinking and and you know there's still thought processes out there that those environments shouldn't have um, you know commercial entities anywhere near them they should just be places to learn and I I think if I'm honest if I'd have perhaps embraced that a little bit more and tried to not be less focused on the target, but perhaps more embracing of the environment, I might have it not felt those conflicts quite so much. But I, I'm, I could probably say I wasn't very popular with, with many departments because having something for free was just not an option, you know, not with those sorts of numbers when we were trying to achieve them. And yeah, if I had my time again, I think I'd perhaps be a little less bullish. Um and look for ways because there are great examples in in some of the institutions of where it actually does work better it can work but that can often take a long time and it can be a process that you you know you've had to go around and find champions in different academic departments but you know hindsight's a wonderful thing it's worth the time yes yes but it is, it's worth the time. And if there's somebody listening to this that is maybe new to the role or somebody that hasn't experienced it, then absolutely, I I would agree with you. It may feel like an impossible climb, but it actually isn't. But it's looking at how you do that. And, and, and collaboration is the way because there will be academics within your institution that want to run conferences and events and don't know how and will just welcome you with open arms because they understand the importance of academic conferences um, absolutely so there was something else that you touched on when you were you were talking and it was about that that sales isn't about the numbers it's about the people and that's what I was alluding to right at the beginning because I remember very very early on in my career I met somebody who was a sales manager for the ideal home exhibition and she said to me people buy from people and she said that the best directors those people that go to the very top are those people that have had sales experience because they understand the numbers but actually if they're really good at their job they understand the importance 
of building relationships. You're nodding away. So, so what's your thoughts about, about that? I totally agree. And I think, you know, it's a case of, I think, in terms of sales, it, it, it can be a bit of a grubby word. Let's let's put it that way. A lot of people go, oh, my God, I can't do sales. But actually, you know, the old fashioned cliche, isn't it? All of us are salespeople. And I just think that and I'm not saying I did this or I achieved this at all. I think this is a bit of me learning along the way and thinking about all the people that I've had as leaders. If I could take bits of some of them, they would have created maybe the perfect leader in and many of them came from sales backgrounds because I think when you when you're in sales you have to be inquisitive you you need to get to know what makes people tick you need to understand you know how to work out whether you know what you've got is right for them you've got to come up with with the right solution and it's so much more in depth than the sort of what people perceive as selling as, as being pushy. For me, it wasn't ever about that. It was always about getting to know the person. It was always about caring about what they wanted to achieve from their event. And I think in terms of then when you are leading people, if you can create this culture that it is about you as the people, then they're much more likely to to be productive and, and achieve because you're, you're all sort of singing from the same hymn sheet. And I think it's incredibly difficult to achieve when, you know, that word is, is not perceived as being part of somebody's job. Whereas just by having a great conversation and, and delivering great customer service is, is selling. You know, the, the fact that you want people to come back, you've, you've sold, you've, you know, you've done your piece. And I think it's, you know, creating a culture that is there to let people feel safe and supported I think naturally then makes people want to do what they're doing and then in that case they're then selling aren't they it's the subtle approach that I think is is so important I think sometimes I was probably quite protective of the team and you know for example if we had to move offices which was an absolute nightmare and quite disruptive I'd be like no why do we need to move you know that's not in you know we need we need our environment the environment needs to be right for the team and where we're going to means they've got to walk miles and blah 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 and so I'd always do my bit to try and make their environment the best it could be so they could be the best they could be but I, again I'm not I'm not sure I achieved that <laughs> but I'd, I'd battle on and and fight some of those battles and and sometimes it's about picking those but I do think that environment is so very important to, to help people flourish and and then that takes care of the the number side yeah I could be very naive but no I I totally and utterly agree with you and and as leaders that's what we should be isn't it I love that you know curious and inquisitive about what our teams need for for us so that they can go out and do that with their clients because sales is not and I think that we do we often when you say the word sales you you have sort of double glazing salesperson you just get on the phone the numbers you know the more numbers you do the more chances you are are going to sell sales in this environment is is not that like that and and not like that in many many other environments it is about actually diving deep into what that client wants what that client needs and what we can do and I think that for me when I first stepped into this world that is what I loved is the fact that it wasn't it wasn't a hotel where you had your your six rooms you had like a hundred rooms some were absolutely brilliant some are just like oh my god but 
you will always get a client that will walk in that has very little budget, not really bothered, just needs a space. And actually that that is right for them. And I think that if we can remember that and remember why we're doing it and that helps motivate the team. And as you said, I think creating that team spirit, especially if you're a small team, can be really helpful as well. Because when it feels like the rest of the world doesn't understand that smaller world does. And and that's what you're doing at AVS is not just for that university, but actually creating that national sense that there are people across the country that understand what you're doing and want and want to help and support you. And I think if I'd have had um if I'd have used AVS in that way when I was in an academic venue, I think that would have been hugely helpful. And I see the power in the the coming together never more so than in the pandemic you know we literally sat there and thought okay there's no business to refer to our venues what what are we going to do we need to get our venues together and I think we've always known that we're better together and we've always known as you will have experienced Mel that you know we all experience the same challenges and opportunities and sometimes just to know that somebody is is feeling the same way that you are and is having the same challenge that you're, you know, you don't know if you've got X amount of meeting rooms to sell next year because you're relying on timetabling. You know, we all sort of sit there and roll our eyes together. But there's something in that rolling of eyes together that makes you think, actually, I'm not so alone. You know, I, I've got a whole network of people here that are all doing a very similar thing and we're all doing it to the best we possibly can. And I think it takes a different type of person to work in this environment. And I just, I'm so honoured to work, to be honest with you, at AVS, because I, I get to meet people that inspire me every day. They're all, all inspirational, whether they've got a, a massive organisation or, you know, you're literally just doing, I don't know, 11 weeks through the summer. What is achieved is remarkable. But as a network, I think it's, it's really come together since the pandemic and it, it, that network part has probably grown in importance for all of us. Absolutely and just on that as as you were talking there what I was thinking especially as this is going out on the eve of the conferences back in the day when I was working in my university and Warwick conferences were up there as the gold standard I think I would have been a bit reluctant to go and talk to the likes of you or somebody at Warwick because it's like well they do it really well they have year-round conference centers they're going to be so much better they're not going to experience the challenges there's nothing that they can learn from me but actually listening to you talk that isn't the case and so if there is anyone listening that thinks oh I can't go and talk to them we're a very different university actually we can all learn from each other because the thing that I've learned in in what I do now. And I'm always fascinated whenever I go to a new a new university, I'm always interested in what facilities they have because I think that actually we're all different. And every university I go to, I always think that there is something unique that actually, God, that would be wonderful to sell. So if there is anybody out there that is reticent to go and talk to the bigger, more established universities, I would say don't you know, go talk to everyone, because that is the other thing about this sector is that everyone I have ever met is always willing to be brutally honest, and they will give their time generously and their support. And they share. I think the interesting thing is, I remember the old fashioned days when 
you you know used to go to those meetings and it, you'd be asked for your hotel rates what are you achieving at the moment and you told huge porcupines um in this environment everybody just shares you know if you need support whether you're looking at summer schools or you know you you're looking at systems people will share their experience and we've set up now a, a few groups within the membership that deal with different topics so we've got a bit of a what we call it a, a think out loud group where some of the senior people within membership come and they just go ah you know help me i've got this challenge and somebody will say actually do you know what I, this is what happened to me this is what I, i'm more than happy to share the detail with you and the same with um you know trying to look at operating systems it's so refreshing that people are happy to share because they know that if they want that they need that sort of environment and they need that topic to come back to them you know it's what works it's it's less competitive although of course it's still competitive but the healthy part is that, that you know there is a sharing that means we can make each other's lives easier in what is already quite an interesting and and can be difficult environment absolutely love it love it love it and hopefully this conversation is helpful to people that are working in this environment yes. but also really to those people that that are supporting or are working in the wider university is that sense of collaboration and support for people that are doing their very best to meet the targets that they have been set whether they're financial or or not yes oh yeah brilliant so moving slightly when have you had to dive deep and what impact did that have on you Mm, so I had an anus horribleus in 2017. Three major things happened to me within a matter of 12 weeks, um, which meant I had to literally reevaluate my my whole life. And I, I stopped working at Warwick. Um, I, I had to rethink where I was going to live. There was three, you know, these three major things that happened that I can honestly say my world, it, it was like it had literally fallen apart. And th- I think I was also suffering a bit of, of burnout, if I'm honest. I didn't have any energy. I didn't really know what to do. And I, I went into like a sense of panic. Um, and I had to think about, first of all, how I was going to earn a living and what what should I do next? And I, I applied for lots of jobs. But deep down, I wanted to do something on my own. I just didn't know how. And I remember we were on a on a holiday and my friends and my family said, you can do this. You need to do this. Okay, it's not great timing, but when is great timing? What, you know, what are you waiting for? So it was then, that was sort of in the August. Um, and then by the November, I had decided I was going to go for it. And I set up the business, not probably in the best place, you know, thinking about it now in terms of ideally we'd all like to be financially secure. and But actually, Looking back, it, it absolutely was the right time, but it was the impact on me, I think, meant I had to dig very deep to find some courage. I think when you've worked in a wonderful environment where everything's taken care, whether it's your tech, your telephone, <laughs> your pension, you can take it for granted. And suddenly there was none of that. So it was me. And it was, you know, speak to your network, use your network. I think you very quickly suddenly realise there are a lot of people who are happy to support and help and share. Um, I think it gave me courage, but it was probably the most scariest time in my life, to be honest. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. 
it is interesting, isn't it? Because life is not, you know, it doesn't all go up. It's it is a roller coaster, in the words of Ronan Keaton. Life is a roller coaster, and it is that bravery, isn't it? So actually, you are probably far braver than you think you are because to do that at a time, and that you you know your family and friends are absolutely right. There is there is never a right time to make that change, but to actually follow what you really wanted to do and do it is amazing so thank you for sharing that <laughs> thank you what have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree probably the sort of coming out of that and going into running the business and thinking okay this is just me now right um I'm now in charge of me and <laughs> you know I've got to get some business in and I then started with AVS and I think I was so overwhelmed at the beginning I I think I panicked a little bit about it, the little things, you know, suddenly I felt like I got imposter syndrome and how can I possibly do this? What do I know? And, you know, the beginning of that self-employed journey, I definitely felt like a fish climbing a tree. And, you know, when you look back and yeah, we, we make mistakes, but we, we learn from them. And I think when you're self-employed, it teaches you, you know, it's up to you. You are now what either makes or, or breaks this. And you've got to manage your your brand, you know, your yourself. And there were so many things that I wanted to learn very, very quickly. And I'm still learning and I'll still continue to learn. But I I think it was a case of rolling up my sleeves, just getting on with it. And I think it probably took about a year before I realized it wasn't perhaps as hard or as bad as I thought it would be. But it's really hard to lose the imposter syndrome I still sit here and I think I said to you you know I delayed pressing the button on the date to do this call because I was like why does she want to speak to me I don't understand I have this affliction um, still but then on the other hand I think it means I do I care and I'm not sitting here thinking I'm absolutely the owner of an empire I've got lots to still learn and lots that I want to do but it is a little harder when you're working for yourself, by yourself, even though you've got lots of people around you. It's still quite scary thinking, you know, I am my own boss. And that's still tricky, I think. Yeah, yeah. My business is slightly older than yours, just by a couple of years. But I still feel that as well. But I have to say, it has just been so lovely talking to you today. And, and just through the conversation that we've had, it's clear that you you do reflect you're really honest about what works and, and what doesn't work. And I think that you will always run your own business because people will be drawn to that and that vulnerability and honesty, because that's what we all want, really. So amazing. So obviously, when this goes out, tomorrow will be conference day. So you and I will get to meet in, in person. Hurrah. But how can people that aren't attending the conference get in touch with you, find out more about AVS and everything else that you do? So you can find me on LinkedIn or you can have a look on our website, academicvenuesolutions.co.uk. I'm happy to chat through, you know, anything anybody's got any queries with or I can send the registration link for the conference. But I think going back to just very quickly to something you said, Mel, I think if you're entering into this world, any of us at the team would be more than happy to talk to you and be your friend, whether you're a member or not. You know, we're always happy to answer any questions that might feel like stupid questions internally, 
but we'd be happy to help. So, you know, we're always, always here and we, we extend our sessions and our, our network, not just within the membership. So, you know, happy to help with anybody starting a career in, in this environment and, and perhaps just giving them a bit of a pointer here and there. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much. So generous. So just leave me to say thank you so much. I'm glad you got over your imposter syndrome and press that button because you had absolutely nothing to worry about. It's been brilliant. I've loved the conversation. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with today? I think when you're on your journey, whether it's sales, leadership, whatever it might be, I think it's always about remembering to have empathy. And I think it's about, you know, whether it's for a client or whether it's for your team. And I think it's about, you know, creating this culture, as I said, that gives people a safe environment to flourish and grow. And that might not sound very salesy, but I do believe it, it is all about the people. I really do. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Louisu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple Podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can-do leadership in a world of can't.